So there's this sort of idea that the mushrooms as an entity are non-binary, right? They're, they're not really like a female entity or a male entity. They're actually Nino Santos, which is holy children. So it's like just a bunch of children, which if you've taken mushrooms before, you know, they're also very silly and they have a childlike nature to them. But what's really interesting is we put a lot of emphasis on Mother Earth and Madre Tierra and how mushrooms are the medicine of Madre Tierra. So the mushrooms being something that came directly from the earth have this healing nature to them. They have a healing quality and this healing quality is coming directly from mother earth herself. So it's very, very important that not only women are stepping up and they're divine feminine, but that all people are embracing this feminine aspect of them, this feminine healing nature, this feminine heart space nature that we all have access to no matter our gender, no matter our race. So this is where I see um, women being able to step up, but really all of us as humans being able to step up for the divine feminine. This is a space for, but never limited to, people of color. We're discussing sacred plant medicine, pregnancy, parenthood, and more. You know, there's such a stigma on who can open the floor for conversation on these topics that are viewed as taboo or even inappropriate. This fact alone has made so many become fearful of the very thing that could help us rebuild families, create our own businesses, and most importantly, trust our role in this world as future ancestors. So wherever you are, take a cleansing breath and do your best to listen with an open mind, heart, and spirit, and let love lead the way. I'm your host, Taylor. Welcome to another episode of the Taylor Healing Collective Podcast. Today, I am joined by Azalea of Vibrational Healing with Azalea. I am really excited to get to share on this episode uh, with Azalea because she comes from a very interesting lineage and background that speaks to a lot of the things that we discuss here on the Taylor Healing Collective podcast. And I'm really excited for you all to get to know her background, a lot about what she does, the history of the medicine work that she practices, and her views on where a lot of this industry, this ceremony, this medicine is going in the future. So Azalea, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yes, thank you so much. That was a beautiful introduction. Thank you so much for having me and for creating space for these conversations. Um, Like you said, my name is Azalea. I was born and raised in the United States, in California specifically. And I come from the lands of Mexico and the Bahamas. (laughs) So my father and his family are Bahamian and my mother and her family are Mexican. So I grew up with this culturally mixed background. And then, of course, in the U.S., which brings a whole nother layer to it. 
And eventually I found um, some profound healing from depression, PTSD, and anorexia from psilocybin mushrooms. And I was so curious about this healing, which was also a huge spiritual awakening for me. And eventually this healing led me back to my roots in Mexico, where, you know, we use psilocybin mushrooms traditionally for healing for thousands of years in the Mazatec lineage. So now I live full-time in Mexico and I work with the Mazatec people in Huatla de Jimenez in Oaxaca. And Vibrational Healing is a platform where I share this work. I share this ancestral work with psilocybin mushrooms in a therapeutic context with others around the world remotely. Wow, that's so amazing. So may I ask, at what point were you brought back to Mexico? Since that's from your lineage, but I'm guessing that's not where you were raised. Right. So it's not where I was raised. And uh, what really happens, like I said, I had this really healing experience with psilocybin mushrooms. And when I was taking them, I was taking them recreationally with a friend. I didn't really expect a lot of healing, although it's what I wanted. And I was just blown away by the profound shifts that occurred in my life post to that journey. Um, and then at the same time, I had a really spiritual awakening, as I said. And during that trip specifically, I was in my house. All I had was like a couch and a bed. I had just moved into my apartment. So all the walls were white. And during this healing, I saw like plants coming out of the walls, coming out from the bottom of the floor, from the roof, and just coming in and like holding me and sort of cradling me. And during this, I had a lot of healing. I had a lot of profound realizations about what I needed, what my inner child needed. But I also had the plants just speak to me throughout the entire journey. And during them speaking to me, they were asking me to... Um, to work with the medicine, the medicine of the mushrooms. And I thought it was so strange because I didn't really consider myself a spiritual person before. And the word that was coming up was like healer, shaman. And I really didn't identify with that. So it felt really strange. Um, but the healing occurred and I, it was undeniable healing. So I went deep into kind of the research behind psilocybin mushrooms for months afterwards like, okay, maybe I'm not a spiritual person, but I did experience something really cool. So what is happening here? And during that time of me just looking for answers and looking for science, I was still having these kind of euphoric experiences in my day to day where I would just be like at a park and the land and the trees would like start speaking to me. And it was so weird. It was difficult for me to accept, although it felt so true and beautiful. So eventually about six months later, I went to sit with ayahuasca in Peru and I sat with the Shipibo people and my ayahuasca experiences were very much just ayahuasca telling me to work with the medicine of the mushrooms, that this is my calling to stop denying it and just to step into it and start working this way. Um, so I spoke to the Shipibo people that I sat with, um, the people who served our medicine, the shamans of ayahuasca. And they told me that my Mexican ancestors were coming into ceremony and asking me to reopen our lineage to work with the mushrooms in this ancestral way. And that made so much sense to me. It really resonated, although I had no idea that these were even Mexican traditions. So it was a very, very special thing for, um, for me to embrace, really. And the shamans that I sat with in Peru knew my teacher in Mexico in Oaxaca. So they connected us and I reached out to her and she's Mazatec and Wautla. 
And I told her that I wanted to learn the medicine of the mushrooms. I gave her, you know, the brief of my story and how my ayahuasca experiences were. And she told me to come down to Waltla to visit her and we'll sit in ceremony and we'll just kind of see what unfolds. And I went to go visit her and we just opened up an apprenticeship together. And it's just been this long unfolding process of being initiated into the lineage to work with the medicine and then to be given permission to practice this um, so that we can incorporate it into Western models. Wow, how intriguing. So one of the first things that you said that stood out to me was your relationship with nature coming and kind of unfolding for you. I can't even imagine how that must have felt. Um, I'm not sure what things have been like for you throughout you know, the past few years with the pandemic, but a lot of people have lost their connection to nature. So how did that feel for you to tap back into something like that? Or is it something that was already very familiar to you? Um. You know, a little bit of both. It was very much like tapping back into my authentic truth. And like I said, in that first experience with the vines that didn't exist, (laughs) just coming out and holding me. And I felt like this, you know, energetic life force in the room that was so present for me during my first mushroom experience. But this energetic life force for me manifested as Mother Earth. And when these vines were holding me, it was so clear to me that this was Mother Earth. And since that day, I've always only ever referred to myself as a child of the earth. You know, like, what is it that you do or what title do you go by? I'm like, I'm just a child of earth because that's what I am. I am of this earth. And mushrooms just reminded me of that. They radically shifted me back to remembering that and remembering that as not only my truth, but everybody's truth, right? This idea that nature isn't something separate from us, but that we're all a part of this, a part of nature, a part of mother earth. So for me, like that was a huge realization, but at the same time, when I realized it, I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. And I do remember feeling this way maybe many times before, but just not like being consciously connected to it. So I think what the mushrooms helped me do was like radically shift back into this realization that I am a part of nature. And that just radically changed how I interacted with everything in my life. Wow. Uh, So I know that many people know the story of Maria Sabina and her story connects to where you are currently. But can you tell us a little bit about Abuela Julieta? I've heard a lot about her as well. And I believe I read in some of your bio that through your apprenticeship, you had sort of a connection through her. Yes, exactly. So Abuelita Julieta, while she was alive, she was a part of this organization called the International Council of 13 Indigenous Grandmothers. And these were 13 grandmothers from all around the world, and they would go travel and share medicine. And their mission was really to like protect sacred traditions, sacred medicines, and sacred lands around the globe. So this was a huge deal. And because of this, Abuelita Julieta was known as being um, one of the Mazatec curanderas or the Mazatec medicine servers that would actually share medicine outside of the Mazatec lineage. For many, many years, as you know, with the Maria Sabina story, this just wasn't done. The Mazatec people only really shared within their lineages and sometimes only within their families. So Abuelita Julieta worked around the same time as Maria Sabina. They were alive around the same time, and they are obviously from different families and different lineages in that sense, but still a part of the Mazatec, um, 
as a whole lineage. So I believe that Julieta was also sharing the medicine with foreigners because of her travels. Even when people would come to Huautla, Abuelita Julieta and her family were known as like, if you come to Huautla, this is the family that you see um, to get medicine served to you as a foreigner. So Abuelita Julieta is the mother of Maestra Jasmin, who is the woman that I work with, the woman that I'm in apprenticeship with. And she also has many other daughters and I believe there's only one son <laughs> and they all serve the medicine and continue the traditions of sharing with foreigners. So with you sharing, learning about that and, you know, stepping into this area where you're sharing with foreigners as a, do you identify as a Westerner? Um, I mean, I guess kind of, I don't really identify with it because I don't resonate with it, but I did, I identify as a bridge, to be honest with you. I have a little bit, both of like these indigenous, like Mexican upbringings and also this Western being born and raised in America. And then in knowing this very controversial history, how does that feel for you to be that bridge to integration? Um, it's really tough for me, to be honest. <laughs> I struggle with it. And I, I love being the bridge and it feels so much my truth to come in and to have so much respect for the traditions and the people I work with, but to also recognize that I have to bring that respect like back into the Western model as we try to bridge this into the psychedelic industry and movement. So while it's really difficult for me to walk both of those worlds, it's like the most beautiful thing ever. Do you believe that was something that your ancestors might've known that you would have had to be this bridge between this modern world and this, I, I use this phrase often, it's not one of my favorites, but the psychedelic renaissance that's occurring right now, do you believe they knew that was going to happen before? Oh, absolutely. I've had it shown to me so many times in ceremony and meditations. Um, so that's the other thing is like, while this is really, really difficult, I know I came here to do this. I know this is my path. And every time I get lost, I feel like the support of all of my ancestors, as well as the support of the people who are just here with me, surrounding me on this earth. What role do you feel that women specifically even BIPOC women may play into all of this because I see very often in you know this new wave that's going on within the United States right now it's very um, operated by men specifically and I even though I know historically women are the keepers of this medicine I see more men you know in a modern day world guiding and directing this so what role do you feel women play yeah yeah that's a beautiful question um it's funny, I was just speaking with Dr. Tone Rawlings yesterday, who is very focused on um, the decolonization space. So very focused on decolonizing the heart and the mind is kind of the idea of Dr. Tone's business. So we were having this conversation about um, BIPOC and how a lot of BIPOC just generally BIPOC, um, no matter the gender of female, male, non-binary, but all BIPOC people like live in this kind of fear state and you really are always trying to put yourself in like safe circumstances. <laughs> You're always trying to make a safe circumstance for yourself. And it's just this natural thing that we've all inherited from the trauma of what's happened to our people and what's also happened to us here on this earth in this time. So I do feel that there is this strong calling and this connection between like BIPOC people embracing their fear and getting through that fear to be able to speak their truth 
that is going to unlock a whole lot of potential in the psychedelic space. Um, and I say this because I think it's directly related to like the ego and the heart. And this is the conversation I was having with um, Dr. Tone is this idea that when you're feeling scared and you want to embrace something and you want to kind of step into your power, step into your truth, step into your role, you start to feel scared because your ego is like latched on and it doesn't want you to let go. So I think that, yes, I just want to first say that I think BIPOC people are a huge part of this movement and indigenous people have to be at the front lines of psychedelic renaissance or whatever we want to call it. I want them at the front of like policy reform. I want indigenous language at the forefront of how we're even like sculpting the psychedelic industry. And then on top of that, it is a special honor to be a feminine person in this era, to be a feminine person serving medicine, particularly in Wautla. I actually don't know many uh, men curanderos, like men healers, men shamans. They're typically all women. And even when it comes to the elders, we have our elders, but it's usually like the abuelitas that hold the most wisdom, the abuelitas being the grandmothers. So there's this sort of idea that the mushrooms as an entity are non-binary, right? They're, they're not really like a female entity or a male entity. They're actually Nino Santos, which is holy children. So it's like just a bunch of children, which if you've taken mushrooms before, you know, they're also very silly and they have a childlike nature to them. But what's really interesting is we put a lot of emphasis on Mother Earth and Madre Tierra and how mushrooms are the medicine of Madre Tierra. So the mushrooms being something that came directly from the earth have this healing nature to them. They have a healing quality and this healing quality is coming directly from Mother Earth herself. So it's very, very important that not only women are stepping up in their divine feminine, but that all people are embracing this feminine aspect of them, this feminine healing nature, this feminine heart space nature that we all have access to no matter our gender, no matter our race. So this is where I see um, women being able to step up, but really all of us as humans being able to step up for the divine feminine. Thank you so much for that. That you really went into depth with a lot of things I think people need to recognize when it comes to working with this medicine. Um, and then to know that you recognize them as holy children, not just something that can be identified in one way, like they're not just feminine, they're not just masculine, they're all of them. And I help, think that helps a lot connect back to our inner child, to accessing those emotions and to stepping into that healing space. So thank you for sharing that. Another question I had for you, um, with the work that you do, what has that been like for you to step in out of your own healing space and to kind of lead people through their own journeys and processes? Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, it's funny because for me, at least now, the way that I'm holding ceremonies and how I'm learning, and I still feel very new to this, um, everybody's healing is also my healing, right? <laughs> at a certain point, there's not really too much separation. I will say like, if I am going through a traumatic experience or trying to like process some traumatic experience that's being triggered in my body, I have to take care of that before I can take somebody into ceremony. When I come into a ceremony with somebody, I have to be like clean myself so that I can then help them get to where they want to be. And even so, I often see that things people are processing in their ceremonies 
are directly related to my process during that time. And I always find that through somebody's healing, I find my own healing and vice versa through my own healing. Others find their healing. It's just all interconnected. And I think part of this is like, I, I really love um, group ceremonies. I think group ceremonies are really important. And I think there's a time and a place for them. I think some people do benefit better from one-on-one -on -one ceremonies. But what's really special about the group ceremonies is this idea that we all come to this place and time to learn. And it's almost like in some other realm, all of our souls made this agreement that, okay, we're going to meet in this room at 4 p.m. on August 22nd or whatever it is, <laughs> 2022. And then we're all going to go to this room and we're all going to learn this lesson. And I see so often in group ceremonies that everybody comes and nobody knows each other, but they all actually come to learn a similar lesson and we all get that lesson together. So that's kind of how the, um, the reciprocal healing happens. So you brought up uh, fear within the BIPOC community, and that's one thing that I've seen a lot, especially as someone who has worked with the medicine before. Can you walk us through what a ceremony looks like usually, whether it be a group or individual one with you? Because I think people need to know that if you're not entering into a recreational space and you want to automatically enter with the intent of healing, what that may look like for you. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of preparation, right? Before I go to Wautla, and really like all the time, preparation and integration has kind of blended into each other, but it's like meditation every single day. Like I have to be able to drop directly into my heart space. I have to get out of my head. I have to understand what I'm feeling somatically in the body. So meditation is a really important practice to prepare. Um, before the first time I went to Wautla, I had to do like this fast for two weeks. It was just intermittent fasting, but it was like, as soon as I woke up, um, when I told my teacher I wanted to come, she told me as soon as I woke up, I would have to get out of bed and sit on the floor and ask whatever I think divine energy or God or the creator is, I have to ask for the wisdom I'm looking for. Please fill me with the wisdom that I'm looking for. And then all the way until 2 p.m., I was to be meditating and I was to not eat anything, not drink anything. And then at 2 p.m. I could break my fast. And I had to do this for two weeks before even coming to Mexico. Um, so there's a lot of preparation for these sacred experiences. But in the experience itself, I think it would be best if I just walked you through. Um, when we're in Huatla, we, we work on our sacred mountain named Chicon Mindo. This is the same mountain that Maria Sabina worked on. In fact, when you come to Wautla, her house, which is now a museum, is right on the tip of that mountain. So we walk up the mountain for ceremony. And even though we don't take the mushrooms until we get to our temple that is on the mountain, I like to tell people that ceremony starts as soon as we step foot on the mountain. So when we step foot on the mountain, everybody has to rub some dirt on their hands and on their heads. And what they're doing really is, um, they're meeting, they're having their soul meet the spirit of the sacred mountain and saying, hi, I'm entering your space, just asking permission, just letting you know that I'm here, just like you would walk into somebody's house, you knock on the door, you know, it's the same concept, we're meeting the spirit of the mountain. And then we take a hike and throughout the hike, myself and Maestra Hasmin will explain certain things about the mountain, we'll explain certain things about the Mazatec people. And eventually we'll stop at certain points to kind of have a meditation with the mountain, with Mother Earth, Mother Nature, and the spirit of love. 
So a lot of emphasis focused on connecting your breath and connecting your breath in gratitude with those energies. And then we have, of course, we'll give our offering of cacao for our work. It's like the, um, the money of the land is cacao. So we'll all take cacao and then you'll hold your cacao close to your heart and you'll infuse the cacao with your intentions, your intentions for ceremony and your intentions for life. And also with gratitude, um, all these things, gratitude for the earth, for the land, for the medicine, for the Mazatec people. So once you've done that, then you go put the cacao wherever you feel, wherever your heart tells you to put on the land and you give to the land and gratitude for this work. So then after that, we'll continue our hike up the mountain. It's a very sacred hike. And eventually we enter into our temple, which is basically this little hut that we've built on the mountain for these ceremonies. And when we enter, you'll be given a candle and you take the candle. It's like a long, you know, ceremonial type candle and you'll rub it on your heart. You'll rub it all over, all over your body. And you're asking the candle to cleanse you, to cleanse you with the fire once it's lit of what you don't want to take into ceremony. You'll put the candle up to your third eye sometimes and ask the candle to open your perception, to bring light into your work today, into your ceremony. And then we'll light the candles one by one towards the altar. There's a huge altar there. And then everybody has their own sort of like mat and pillow and uh, blanket for them to just kind of get cozy during ceremony. And then we'll take pieces of copal. It's like a, um, it's like a cleansing sort of resin. So kind of like, um, you know, a palo santo or a sage, but it's like a little, little piece from a tree. And it's like a sap almost from a tree. And you'll rub it also all over your body, all over your head. You'll ask it to clean your thoughts of things you don't want to take into ceremony to cleanse um, whatever you're feeling. And if there's any pain on you, you'll rub it around that space and ask it to cleanse you from that. Ask it to open the heart. And then we each one by one will drop copal into this, um, this sort of, I'm not sure how to explain it, but it's something that you burn like charcoal with. So something to burn charcoal with, whether that be like, you know, some people have those little bowls. We have this kind of, I don't even know how to explain it. <laughs> I don't know the word for it, but you hold it and it has a little cup at the top and we'll drop our copal in there with the charcoal and then we'll let it cleanse the space. So we cleanse the space with the copal that we have each um, connected with. And then after that, we will take our mushrooms one by one. And when we're given our mushrooms, finally, we're asked also to express gratitude for the mushrooms, for Nino Santos, for the holy children, for Onguitos, the little mushrooms. And we're asked to speak to the mushrooms like a true entity, to speak to the plant, to speak to the fungi, and to speak to the land where it comes from, asking help to reach our intentions that we come into ceremony with. And then what that we want to do that as we're eating them. So when we eat them, we only eat them with the tip of our teeth. We don't eat them with the back of our teeth because we want to show respect. It's a sacred plant, so let's respect it. And we eat them very, very slowly and consciously. And as you're eating, that's while you're talking to the mushrooms at the same time that you're eating, you're expressing the gratitude. And then once you've finished your mushrooms, you can put your bowl or your, you know, sometimes we're giving them in a leaf, you put it aside. And then you go under your blanket, you're encouraged to lay down and completely immerse yourself into your own experience. And while this is happening, the healer in the room or the shaman, the curandera, she is singing the medicine songs. She is singing in the indigenous language. She is saying the indigenous chants. 
um, throughout this whole entire experience, you know, the four to six hours, whatever it takes. And then that's your experience. Of course, different things happen during the experience, but as soon as it's finished, she'll come up to you and she'll give you um, this water. It's like a holy water, but specifically it's water infused with plants from around the Mazatec area. And then she'll also pair that with a powder, which is a powder of plants from the Mazatec area. And she'll kind of mix them into a little paste and then she'll give it to you on your head, on your heart, and just to rub it on yourself to kind of close the container. And then that's it. And then we have dinner. <laughs> I think that it is almost breathtaking to hear you describe the intricacies of ceremony because with how it is in the Western world and specifically here in the United States and with it becoming very commercialized, there is really no talk of ceremony. There's no talk of the true connection with the earth. It's just microdose this, or let's take this. And it's not talking about actually connecting with the earth, which I believe is a very important part of it. And something that I can honestly say, I did not experience my first time. It was recreational. So it was more sitting with friends versus sitting with the earth. So I, I'm amazed to hear you speak about it. And I hope that one day I get to experience that and more an earth connection during ceremony versus, you know, just sitting in my own home by myself or that I want my children to be able to be around me and experience that as well. Yeah, of course. I, I, I hope that you get to come too. But I think also it's important to remember that we can have these ceremonies and these earthly experiences, even in our homes, to remember that there isn't separation between a sacred mountain and a sacred room. You know, it's, it's how we interact with it. It's how we interact with our own land. Even if you're in an apartment in New York City, you can interact with your land that you're on and give gratitude. And this is very specifically, I love that you brought up microdoses too, because this is so specifically what we're focused on with vibrational healing is helping people remember that these sacred experiences don't only exist in Mexico or in Peru, that you can have these sacred experiences with medicine or even without medicine, wherever you are. And especially with microdosing, that's like our top, top focus is getting people who want to learn how to microdose, but learn how to microdose, bringing this indigenous model of working with the earth, even if you're on a microdosing protocol making a ceremony around your day-to-day in your microdosing protocol. Yes, and I, I completely agree. I've microdosed myself and I love the idea of small steps in order to become comfortable and learn more about the medicine for sure. And definitely agree about including ceremony within your own space at home, you know, working with different elements, whether that be air, fire, or water within your own space. Like you said, even if you're in an apartment in New York. So thank you for sharing that. Um, Do you believe that there is a difference in the way space holders carry out ceremony versus there where you are in Mexico? Mm, You mean like um, people doing kind of psychedelic sessions in the U.S.? Yes. Yeah, I think... um, it's interesting that, yeah, these are really interesting questions because there is a difference, you know, that clearly there's a difference between somebody who's been, you know, just starting in the past few years or maybe like learned during one of these psychedelic training classes, how to serve medicine and somebody who's been coming from a lineage that runs back 6,000 years, you know, that clearly there's a difference between these two. Um, but at the same time, what's really 
cool. And what I love about working with the Mazatec people is that they have just been able to retain their lineage. Because when we think about this on a wider spectrum, all of us came from land somewhere. And all of us have these indigenous roots at some point pre-colonization through our lineages, through our ancestral families. Um, and we were all working with mushrooms, to be honest with you. I mean, mushrooms grow all over the earth. They don't only grow in Mexico. So everybody was working with plant medicine at some point in their lineage. What has happened to us, especially us in the Western world, is we all like forgot our lineages or we intermixed and we lost, you know, connection to our lineages along the way, colonization, et cetera, et cetera. And the Mazatec people, what's so brilliant about them is they were able to retain all of this sacred information, even through the colonization of Mexico. So I, I bring this up because although there's a huge difference between going to a psychedelic training program and then facilitating and coming directly from a lineage, what a lot of people in the West are trying to do is tap back into what they have forgotten. Because although we've all forgotten these, these sacred truths, they're actually just stored within us. Like they're stored in our hearts, they're stored in our DNA. So what I really love that I'm starting to see in the Western space as people go get their training, make sure that they're safely bringing people to ceremony, but then slowly doing their own work so that they can tap back into this ancestral knowledge that's already inside of them. Do you feel that with there being a clinical aspect to this, it takes away possibly from the experience you could have versus, um, I think I want to say like throughout Mexico versus being here, not even Mexico, it can be anywhere outside of the U.S. that does that. Do you see that? Yeah, yeah, I go back and forth about it because while I don't love the clinical model, I know that it has opened a lot of people's minds and it has opened a lot of healing for people. Um, but one thing I say all the time is if you're going to do it in the clinical setting, please just give an offering to the land at least. <laughs> please just acknowledge that there is land where this clinical session is taking place and give an offering. And, you know, that's the bare minimum that I would ask for from these clinicians. <laughs> I think that's important too. So in exploring a little bit about you, I got to hear one of your beautiful medicine songs. And do you think you could describe to the audience how important those songs are during ceremony? Yes, yes, yes. It's really, it's difficult to describe what happens um, because really it's happening on like another plane. <laughs> but it's very similar to, I mean, I just compare it to these ayahuasca ceremonies because it's kind of the easiest for people to understand. When you go into ayahuasca ceremony, you have these ikaros, which are medicine songs. And they're songs that are in the indigenous language. And they're kind of like... Um, they're improvised. Like there are songbooks where you learn all the songs and you start to memorize them and know them. But when you sing them in ceremony, it's almost like the plants are coming through you and channeling healing for the person that you're singing to. So really you're just an open person that the plants are working through to help this other person that's looking for their healing. So this is how it works in ayahuasca. And this is also how it works with the mushrooms. It's just, once again, a lot of people don't even know that there are mushroom ceremonies. And then people don't know that there are songs that go with mushroom ceremonies. So you learn these songs and then they're channeled through you in ceremony to help heal somebody else. And the reason actually that I've called um, vibrational healing what it is, is because that's what happens. The healing is vibrational. These songs are happening 
at a frequency that resonates with the frequency that the person is experiencing, or perhaps the frequency that is needed to open the person's heart or to open up um, a pathway that needs to be entered for them to heal. So it's really this vibrational healing that happens through the medicine songs. Beautiful. So could you tell us, how did you come to start vibrational healing? I know you spoke about your apprenticeship, but what brought you to starting this whole, I'd call it a movement, but also just the healing work that you're doing? Yeah, I think um, it does go back to my first experience, which again was recreational in the U.S. And I experienced so much healing. Um, It makes me really happy to remember that experience because of how much it shifted my life. And after I experienced it, I was like, I have to share this with people. Like, there's no way that I can't share at least this healing, if not the medicine with other people that could potentially also access this space. So I just started journaling about my experience. That was a huge integrative tool for me. And I would just go journal. And then afterwards, I was like, this is really cool what I'm writing about. I think I'm just going to go write a book for my friends. So I wrote a book about my experiences, literally just explaining my trip and the things that I had realized in that first trip. And I was like, I'm just going to make a cute little like 10 page ebook and send it around to my friends. And this was happening, like I said, at the same time as I was doing the scientific research. So in the book, I would put like my experience and then the research that I was coming up with and how they were parallel and how they were complementing each other. And as I started to write it and share it with some friends, my friends were like, Azalea, this is really good. You should actually just like, you know, publish this and share it with a lot more people. And I was like, I don't know, like, I'm not sure yet. I was on the fence about it. And during that time, I um, also started microdosing over the next few months. I microdosed because I was like, if I had this profound experience with this huge dose, what would happen if I microdosed as a supplement, as a daily supplement? So then I went like deep into the microdosing research and then all of my friends would ask me to help them microdose or to help them find their right dose, to help them find the protocol, to explain it to them. So then this ebook of my experience plus scientific research ended up also being a microdosing guide for my friends. And then everybody's like, okay, this is great, Azalea, you have to go publish it. There's no way you're just going to like send it to a few of us. So I ended up publishing the book. And when I published the book, I had so many people reach out and want help um, microdosing and all these things. So that's when I really started vibrational healing as an educational platform and also as a way to help people safely microdose, to help people safely transition from antidepressants or even like PTSD medication to microdoses of mushrooms. Um, And that's really where it all started. And through all of that journey in between was me coming to Mexico, remembering my roots, remembering my ancestral traditions that feel so, so dear to me. So being able to take all this information and education that I was already doing and then incorporate the truth, the indigenous truth that was coming from the medicine into it. And then vibrational healing was this blossoming, flourishing little baby. Well, congratulations on all the work that you've done. And thank you for serving not only your community, but the community of many others. I'm sure it has changed so many lives. So I have actually a couple more questions for you. And one of them is, I believe there is a misconception within the United States um, that 
things like psilocybin mushrooms can be addictive. Um, and if we're comparing them to pharmaceuticals that are used in America, when people have things like depression going on, they are things that they have to keep going back to. Now in Mexico or in any other lineage that you're familiar with, are mushrooms something that have to be consumed every single day in order to continue receiving healing? Or do you believe in taking long breaks? Yeah. Um, a little bit of both. So I do know people in Watla that microdose, like they don't really have the pill form of the microdose, but what they'll do is they'll take a mushroom every day or every other day. And it's like, even that is a ceremony. So they'll go to the sacred mountain, they'll sing some songs, they'll say some prayers, they'll give some offering, and then they'll take their microdose for the day. And then they'll go to work. You know, it's like very normal to just kind of do that in the morning. Um, and then on the other hand, the Mossetech people really only use mushrooms for healing, right? They're not just like, oh, let's all go sit in ceremony and like hang out. <laughs> it's like, no, if somebody's like sick, they come into ceremony. If somebody has like some arthritis bothering them, they come into ceremony. You know, there's many different reasons if somebody is processing grief, losing a loved one. Um, so the ceremonies really only happen when somebody needs healing. And for that reason, it's like people are not typically coming in every Sunday for ceremony, right? It's only when they're needing help and then the medicine helps them. And then they go back to their life with their integration tools, basically. Um, but the people who are sitting in ceremony frequently are, of course, the healers, the curanderas, the shamans, and then people like myself who are apprenticing, who are sitting in ceremony constantly, usually weekly, because I'm learning the medicine. And do you expect more people to come your way now that more people are coming into the knowledge of how mushrooms can heal the body and heal the spirit? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So a project that we're working on is um, Chondafe. Chondafe is the name of our temple, and it's the feminine counterpart to our mountain, Chikonindo. So Chondafe, we're turning into, um, into really a cultural preservation center. We want people to have an opportunity to come sit with us, especially foreigners that want to come sit with us. And then this is part of my role to play. And this is why I feel like a bridge because I can speak both languages and I'm learning the Mazatec language as well, which is very dear to me. And a lot of people here only speak the indigenous language. A lot of people don't speak Spanish. So this is, there are very many bridges happening right now <laughs> for this to happen, but we want to bring this healing to people and to Western people, especially as there's a psychedelic industry happening. And I'm calling it an industry because that's what it is. People are there, a lot of people are there making money off of it. So if people are gonna come into an industry, like let's have them come in with right relationship. So we want people to come experience this healing, of course. And we've already started building the center. We have like housing there for people to stay. We started a farm so that we can like feed people from our particular farm, from our land. We have our little kitchen. We're going to build like a yoga meditation studio as well. And yeah, that's in the process and that's for people to visit us. But also we want to be able to train facilitators. So we're in conversations right now with a few organizations, but the idea is that when somebody gets trained to be a psychedelic therapist, psychedelic facilitator, part of their training is that they have to come with us for a few months to learn how was this traditionally done and how can we then incorporate that into the psychotherapy model. Great. That, that's interesting. And I cannot wait to hear more about how that happens and unfolds for you. 
So one of my final questions that I have is, it's a little sensitive, but I hope this is something maybe you have a little bit of insight to. Outside of fear, how do you feel that those within the BIPOC community can benefit from learning more about working with sacred medicine? Mm. Yeah, I think there's just a lot of profound healing. I keep using those words, but it's true. There's just so much profound healing that can be found in the medicine. And particularly for BIPOC folk that have so much ancestral trauma and so much trauma in this life, there's so many things that can be opened up so that then we as BIPOC people can flourish. <laughs> and we have so many beautiful things to bring to the table, but a lot of us, you know, I don't want to bring the fear back in again, but a lot of us are scared and a lot of us are hurt. I'll use the word hurt. So once we can be able to process that, I mean, it's just such a powerful and potent blessing to be a BIPOC person, a BIPOC person in this time. And there's so many gifts that we have to bring to the table. So I think that the healing of BIPOC people first benefits them, but then actually benefits the collective, really. I agree. Well, thank you, Azalea, so much for sharing your stories of Indigenous wisdom with telling us about your apprenticeship, the beautiful work you're doing with vibrational healing with Azalea. Is there anything you'd like to leave the audience with today? Um, just gratitude. I'm just really grateful for this conversation. I, I love the questions you've asked me and how you've explored conversation with me. So I'm very grateful to you for opening up this space and grateful for um, the listeners who are also opening up space in their life for these conversations. Thank you. And I do want to say that this is a space for everyone, but I specifically highlight BIPOC within this podcast because there's a lot of miseducation or no knowledge at all. And I believe tapping back into your own ancestral wisdom can help you kind of be like you, bridge that gap in between what's going on in modern society right now and the path we need to kind of get to for the future. So I will make sure to link all of your information in the show notes for people who would like to find you and possibly work with you. And thank you for being here again and sharing everything you have with us today. And I look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Yes, thank you so much. Likewise, lots of love. So until next time, this has been the Taylor Healing Collective Podcast. And as always, let love lead the way. Peace.
You are an alchemist. Leave behind what no longer serves you. Remember, your physical body is only a system of transportation for the soul. Allow yourself to feel and forgive the past to move forward into the future. Connect with the self that wants to take chances to explore and be. Allow this version of you to become rooted in its new environment and surroundings to grow. Become a vibrational match to your desires. Take the hand of your old self and lead them into a new future. Feel yourself at peace, in flow, in tune, and at one with all that there is and all that there will be. The rhythm of the universe. It takes form inside of your soul. It is a vibration so powerful and intricate that it created you. Breathe.